The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. John 6, starting with verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent, who, who he has sent. Sorry. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see that may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word for today. Well, it's great to be with you again. We've got a a really exciting text to look at together this morning, so we're going to get right to work. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, please open them to John chapter 6. We'll have the words on the screen. Uh, If you don't have your copy of God's Word with you, We're looking together at this scene from John 6, and it actually occurs relatively early in the Gospel of John. And so it can confuse us as to the chronology and the timeline of where this event happens in Jesus' life. You know, Jesus' ministry was about three years and change of his life. We know a lot about it. And the Gospel of John covers primarily that third year. So even though this scene takes place early in the book, in chapter 6, in the timeline of Jesus' life, We are exiting year two and entering year three of his ministry to us here on earth. And that's important to note because Jesus has this crowd of people who have been following him around. They've seen him do signs. They've seen him do miracles. They're following. They've heard his teaching. And some of them are are curious about Jesus. Others of them are committed to Jesus. And the scripture calls them both followers, And the prelude to our text this morning is a very familiar miracle in the story of Jesus' life. It's the feeding of the 5,000. The text specifically mentions 5,000 men, so the total number may have been more like 15 or 20,000 people who were following Jesus around. And Jesus feeds this multitude using five loaves and two fish. You remember the story. And when he feeds them, they get excited. And they think about how wonderful it would be to have full stomachs every day and they realize that Jesus is someone special and that he's unique. And so the text says that they want to make him their king by force. But Jesus is not having any of that. He's not here to serve their agenda. He's he's here to, to serve his own. And so he retreats to the other side of the sea with the disciples. Along the way, he performs a private miracle for them by walking on the water. It seems silly to skip over that this morning, but we have to. And, and then the crowds wake up the next day 
uh, on the other side, and they realize that Jesus isn't there anymore, and their stomachs are empty again. And so they make their own way out to the other side of the sea. They seek him out there, and they find him in the synagogue in Capernaum. And that's where our text picks up this morning. As we look at our text very quickly this morning, we are going to see several ways, four ways, that Jesus is going to shift their focus. The first way, Jesus wants to shift their focus from the provision to the provider. From the provision to the provider. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The multiplying of the loaves was not the first sign that they'd seen Jesus perform. John tells us at the beginning of chapter 6 that the reason these people were following Jesus is that they had seen him heal the sick. So they were witnesses to many signs. But in the Gospel of John, the word sign means the miracle plus the meaning. It's the miracle plus the meaning. They had seen the miracles, but they'd missed the meaning. I want you to underline the phrase truly, truly in your Bible in verse 26. Jesus uses this phrase repeatedly in Scripture. He uses it about four times in John chapter 6. He uses this phrase to draw special attention to what he's about to say. And in this instance, Jesus is rebuking them because they're focused on the provision and not the provider. He says, you're only interested in having your needs met. You're not seeking me because you're interested in me. Now, hopefully no one at Axleander this morning is starving. So I want to modernize what Jesus is saying here. Maybe he's saying to you this morning, you're not seeking me because you're interested in me. You're seeking me because you want a better marriage. You don't come to church on Sunday mornings because you're interested in me. You come to church on Sunday mornings because you think that if your kids grow up in Sunday school, they'll be better behaved. You only come to church because you're hoping to meet a good Christian woman or a good Christian man. You're not seeking me because you're interested in me. You're seeking me because you think that I'll help your business succeed. You're not seeking me because you want a relationship with me. You only want the benefits of a relationship with me. That's the first shift, is that Jesus wants to shift their focus from the provision to the provider, which is himself. Shift number two, Jesus wants to shift their focus from the temporary to the eternal. Look at verse number 27. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus encourages them to focus their attention and to focus their effort toward things that last forever, not things that are temporary. Physical food is short-lived. You eat it, it fills you up for a little while. But the spiritual food that Jesus is offering them, and that he's offering us this morning lasts forever. It endures to eternal life. And there are so many other breads that you can eat in the world. And each one will leave you hungry. You eat the bread of money or material things, and you'll never have enough. You eat the bread of, of power or of influence, and you'll always feel weak, and you'll always feel afraid, and you'll crave more power to numb your fear. Eat the bread of beauty or sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. Eat the bread of your own intellect, your own intelligence, and you'll, you'll always feel stupid, like a fraud just waiting to be found out. 
Eat the bread of romantic relationships, looking to other people, to romantic partners, or to your spouse to satisfy you in ways that only Jesus can, and you'll eat them alive. Putting people in the place of Jesus in your life destroys relationships. It destroys marriages. Jesus says, don't work for the food which perishes. I will give you the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus has the authority to make that claim. That's what it means when it says that God has set a seal on him. It means that Jesus has the authority to be the mediator of eternal life. That's shift number two, from the temporary to the eternal. Shift number three, Jesus wants to shift their focus from works to faith. Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the people recognized that God had a requirement for them. And so they asked Jesus what they have to do to be doing the works of God. By asking that question, they reveal that their paradigm of spirituality is a paradigm based on merit. It's works righteousness. They believed that they could please God by doing good works and therefore gain eternal life. But Jesus answered them as a flat contradiction to their way of thinking. Turns out the only work you have to do is to believe, which is no work at all. And that belief is what gets them the food that endures to eternal life. That's shift number three, is from works to faith. Shift number four, Jesus wants to shift their focus from the manna to the Messiah. From the manna to the Messiah. Verse 30, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the problem here is that they have God's order of operations mixed up. They think the order is see and then believe. They want to see and then believe. They want to see the sign and then believe. But God's order is believe and then you'll see. Believe and then see. Remember in John 11, Lazarus is dead and Jesus travels to Bethany to resurrect him. They're standing outside the grave. And Martha says to Jesus, he's been in there like four days. He stinks. And Jesus says to her in John 11:40, he says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? These people in John 6, they don't believe, and so they don't have spiritual vision. So often in our lives, we ask God to show up. We ask him to work. We ask him to do some kind of sign, to show up in some big way in our lives. And we can become so desperate. And we say, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you showing up? And the reality is that he is answering and that he is working. And we're missing it because we don't have spiritual vision. There's a number of things that can cloud spiritual vision. For these people in John 6, it's unbelief. Unbelief can cloud spiritual vision. Selfishness can cloud spiritual vision. Above all, sin clouds your spiritual vision. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Spiritual vision and spiritual clarity is linked in the Bible to moral purity. So these people want a sign from Jesus. They can see the parallels 
between his multiplying the loaves on the shore of the sea and the Israelites receiving manna from heaven in the wilderness. And in their mind, Jesus' sign is inferior to the sign that they associate with Moses because the manna came every day. And Jesus performed this miracle once and left. But Jesus reminds them that it wasn't Moses who provided the manna. It was God. And God's offering them something much, much greater than just food to eat. The Israelites who ate the manna all died, eventually. God is offering these people, and he's offering us this morning, eternal life through the Messiah who happened to be standing right in front of them. And they didn't get it. Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? That's a big question we need to answer this morning. I've had the privilege now twice to come and preach at Acts, and both times, if you've been here, you've heard me say six very important words when trying to determine the meaning of a word or a verse or a phrase in the scriptures. Those six words, in the context of this passage. In the context of this passage. There is a correct way to interpret Jesus' words when he says, I am the bread of life. The correct way to do it is to look to the immediate context of the passage. Jesus is teaching them an object lesson. He's pointing to an image that they understand and that has meaning to them, and he's applying it to themselves. And Jesus employs this method over and over and over again in the scriptures, and especially in the Gospel of John. In John 3, he uses the picture of childbirth to describe conversion to Nicodemus. In John 4, he uses the picture of water when he's speaking to the woman at the well. In fact, more than half of the I am statements that we'll discuss in this series through the I am statements in John are object lessons. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And the reason that Jesus used object lessons was not to make things harder to understand, but to make things easier to understand. So in order for us to understand what Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life, we have to think like first century people. Now these days for us, bread is not really a staple of our diet. In fact, most of my friends seem to be preoccupied with trying to avoid eating bread because they're trying to lose weight. But for these first century people, bread meant sustenance. It meant life. Jesus is saying bread is necessary for your physical life, I'm necessary for your spiritual life. I'm not just here to provide for your physical needs only, but I'm here to provide for your every need, and especially your spiritual need for a Savior. So it's very easy to interpret what Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life. Where it gets hairy is in verse 47 and following. Let's read it together. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Jesus says these words, and thousands of people turn on their heels and walk. And they stop following him. Why do they do that? Is it because it's graphic and kind of gross? Maybe. My theory is that these Jews who were listening to Jesus had a very specific image in their mind when they heard him say the words and use the title, Son of Man. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man three times in John chapter 6. It's his favorite way to refer to himself in the Gospels. Do you know where that title comes from, Son of Man? It comes from Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. Listen to Daniel's prophecy He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And whenever you're reading scripture and you, you see Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man, that is the image that should leap to the front of your mind. It was the image that leapt to the front of their minds. The Son of Man was a figure of power and of authority and of a rule and reign and of victory. And so you can imagine the shock and confusion that the people following Jesus felt internally when they would hear him say things like, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. The question I have when I read those words in John chapter 6 is this. What does it mean to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man? If the measure of whether I have life in me, if the measure of whether I receive eternal life is whether or not I eat Christ's flesh and drink Christ's blood, then what does it mean to do those things? Now, Perhaps your immediate thought is, because it's sitting right here, we eat Christ's flesh and we drink Christ's blood when we take communion. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 6. You remember my favorite six-word phrase? In the context of this passage. We have to ask what it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood in the context of this passage. And I'll explain very, very briefly 
the reason why I don't think the Lord's Supper is the right lens through which to interpret eat my flesh and drink my blood in John 6. There are five reasons. Number one, communion's not mentioned in the passage. The context of the passage isn't communion, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Communion doesn't appear. Reason number two, communion isn't instituted until more than a year after the events of John 6. So it doesn't, make Jesus, it doesn't make sense for Jesus to be telling these people to participate in a sacrament that doesn't exist yet and that they don't know about. Third reason, in John 6, Jesus says, eat my flesh. Greek word sarks, it means flesh or skin. In every other New Testament passage about the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus is quoted as saying, this is my body. Greek word soma which means body or substance. They're different words with different meanings and different implications. Reason number four, Jesus says that whoever partakes of his flesh has eternal life. The New Testament very clearly teaches that taking the Lord's Supper uh, is something to be enjoyed by those who are already believers in Christ. In other words, those who already have eternal life. So it doesn't make sense, and it's inconsistent with the rest of the teaching of the New Testament to say that the sacrament is the eating and drinking to which Jesus is referring in John 6. And then the fifth reason, in every Christian tradition, communion involves literal eating and drinking. There's lots of debate as to what is happening and what's going on, but in every Christian tradition, communion involves eating and drinking. But in John 6, Jesus makes it very clear that he's speaking of something metaphorical. Remember in verse 35, he says, whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. He interprets the metaphor. So the eating that Jesus has in mind in John 6 isn't the physical eating of the sacrament. That's important. That's something that we do together. That's something that we'll do together today. But in John 6, Jesus is talking about the spiritual eating of belief. He's talking about a posture of faith that says, I trust Christ to meet all my needs and especially my spiritual need of mercy and of forgiveness for my sin. That's what Jesus wants. He doesn't want your good works or your spiritual resume. He doesn't want you to just admire him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to be so devoted to him that it's as though you have chewed him up and swallowed him and filled your belly with him. But my concern this morning is that many of us are like the people in the crowd. They wanted Jesus to be a meal ticket. They wanted Jesus to be a politician. They wanted to conform Jesus to their own image and their own expectations. And they were around him, and they were affected by him, and they experienced him, and they were impassioned by him, and they were impressed by him, and they missed him. And as a result, they missed life. I'm afraid that's where some of us are this morning. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've been in this church for a long time. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm the bread of life, so turn away from whatever it is you're trying to find life in that isn't me. But I know this morning that many of us will hear those words and we'll look at the bread that's in our hands. And then we'll look back at Jesus. And then we'll close our hands around that thing and we'll say, I have all the life that I need right here. I have all the life I need in my job. I have all the life I need in this relationship. I have all the life I need in this addiction. I have all the life I need in my dreams. I have all the life I need in this sin. And so if you're telling me, Jesus, that to get you, I have to give up this, 
then I don't know if I'm going to take that offer. I might walk away because that's just not the life that I'm interested in. So if that's you this morning, then I want you to hear me very clearly when I say this, that Jesus is the only bread that breaks for you. Jesus is the only bread that breaks for you. Of all the breads that are out there, he's the only one who breaks for you. Every other bread will break you. You eat it, it will perish, you will perish, and it will leave you wanting, and it will leave you broken. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am the bread of life. And he finds us starving to death with stomachs full of Savior substitutes and eating just to be hungry again and drinking just to be thirsty again and looking for life everywhere and not finding it. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the one you're looking for. He says, I'm all that you need. I am enough for you. And then he goes to the cross and the bread of life is broken for us. He takes the penalty for our sin that was ours to bear. He dies in our place and he rises again in victory over sin and death so that hungry sinners can eat the meal of grace. And so that thirsty sinners might drink cups of forgiveness and cups of love and cups of devotion to Christ. So this morning, don't work for the food that perishes. All that's required is that you simply believe and that you eat the bread of life. Let's pray together before we approach the Lord's table. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love that I showed to David. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Lord, I pray that many would take you up on that invitation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.